Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. It certainly is. It is that time of the week that we have all been waiting for. I certainly know myself, Ollie Geel. I've been waiting for seven days for this moment that myself and Mark Schwarzer get to sit down and share a bottle of red wine. And towards the end of the episode of the Two Sharp Reds, we will then compare the bottle of wine to a player, past or present. Mark, welcome to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds. Thanks, mate. Nice to be here. Um, geez, it feels like ages ago the last time we spoke. Yeah, I know. It does. It does. For me, it's, it feels, you know, it really is, for me, though, like Christmas morning. Like, so it, doesn't, it feels like longer to me because I'm so excited throughout the week. You know, I'm ticking the calendar off. I'm like, oh, God. another day closer, another day closer. Um, so it, it feels like a long time, but in a good way for me. Uh, are you really ticking off? The, are you really ticking the days off or crossing the days off? Yeah, or are like you just ad- making it up to make it more dramatic for the, no, for the podcast? It's like an advent calendar, but with little red wines, and I have one every day. Not every morning. Yeah, not like you would with a normal advent calendar. <laughs> uh, plenty to talk about, Mark. But before we get stuck into the football, let's chat wine. I've gone for a Penfold Shiraz from the Adelaide region. Really, really nice. Um, a little bit more, I'd say, higher up the shelf than I'm used to. Um, but I haven't seen it for a while. And I've, as I, we touched on, I think maybe one or two episodes ago, I've seen, oh, I found a, a new cheese and, and wine store in my area. And that's got sort of slightly more specialty wines. And so if you're in Australia or been to Australia and you're a wine fan, you would probably know of the of the Penfold Shiraz from Adelaide. It's a, it's a seriously good wine. A little strong for you. But it's a it's a good one, nonetheless. I, I remember growing up, my mum and dad, like well, my dad, uh, French come over. I, I found it was really a lot of Aussies got into it, didn't they? Because the European yep. Aussies, not so much. But my my dad, my dad likes a, a drop or two, so he's easily converted to to almost any any type of wine. Uh, but I remember when friends came over and, and they were the old Penfold would come out, and uh, yeah, they they pretty much they'd love that. They'd devour it; it wouldn't last very long. Really? Was that like the sign of a, of, a, of a good big night at the Schwarzer household? As soon as the Penfolds came out, you went, oof, oh, look out. No, it was more about a special night rather than a big night. I mean, a big night were the, uh, oh, what do they call again? I mean, uh, you know, the old box, a wine in a box. What are they oh, called? Well, go- go- goon. A uh, goon, yeah, the yeah. old goons, mate. I remember as a kid growing up having parties, having massive big parties uh, once or twice a year. And and uh, every time, like, buzzing, every time someone had finished one of those boxes, uh, like a goon, you go and grab it, take it out of the box, blow it up, and then kick it around as a football and mess about all night. Did you use it as a pillow? That was a that was a favourite of mine. Uh, you probably use it as a pillow when you got a bit older and you probably had too much to drink and you needed yeah. to sleep. Yeah, so no, I, I was only young, mate. We used to play football, only football. 
Ah, oh, fair. See, that's why you're a professional and I'm not. See, I'd go to sleep, <laughs> but you'd squeeze in some practice. Smart. Yeah, non-stop. Non-stop, yeah. mate. Right, so I'm going for shock horror. I'm back to Spanish wine. So it's a Venido Antiguo. Um, it's a 2017 Bobal wine. Um, and uh, it's, uh, again, typical sort of Spanish heavy-ish sort of wine. Really nice, really full-bodied. Really enjoy it. Um, really big, hearty meal. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's more, again, up your Strasse. And, um, but I'm drinking it um, probably just because it's Spanish and I like it. I know it just reminds me of Spain. Every time I open a bottle of Spanish wine, all those smells, all that, that taste, everything just reminds me so much of Spain. Sounds like a, a good wine to have, though, given the weather. Like, I'm looking outside, you know, my window at the moment. It's cold. It's miserable. It's quite, you know, reasonably early on in the day, but it's all, already almost going dark. So those nice, heavier wines seem to, seem to go best in this, this weather. They certainly do, mate. They really do. This is that time of year, isn't it? Get the old hot pot out, get the nice bottle of wine, use half yep. the bottle in the hot pot, and then devour the rest uh, later on in the afternoon, evening, uh, when you're having your meal. Mark, let's get stuck into the football. And before we look at the, the best of the Premier League and some of the, the storylines, it's, it's been a really sad week in, in the world of football. But what's been interesting, it's been quite a sad week outside football for people that don't necessarily follow it because the great man, Diego Maradona, has passed away. But he is... I, I didn't probably realise, because I'm so entrenched into the world of football, just how much of an impact he's had outside in terms of if you know a player and you don't watch football he was probably the one that you know of if that makes sense and it, and it sort of shows as well mark with some of the beautiful stories that you've heard of the way that he's interacted with people in the game you know huge huge loss um the passing of, of diego maradona um very very sad uh in, in in the world of football and obviously not even just touched the world of football it's touched all sorts of uh, walks of life. We saw the All Blacks playing a very, very moving tribute um, as they laid down a shirt before they played the, uh, before they carried out the Haka before their game against Argentina, which was which was very moving. Um, we've seen it all over the world with people coming out with special tributes um, with regard to Diego Armando Maradona. Um, you know, Napoli, Napoli wore a shirt that combined the colours of Napoli, uh, Argentina. And uh, it was a, a special shirt for for in, in honor of Diego Maradona. They're going to rename all the talkies. They're going to rename the stadium in, in Naples after uh, Maradona, which is is pretty amazing. Um, and also, uh, you know, he passed away. What was it the twenty fifth of November, the same day that the great George Best passed away, fifteen years previously, um, which is kind of eerie a little bit, um, yeah. you know, two wonderful footballers who obviously had had some similarities in terms of, of their fights off the pitch, um, uh, their struggles off the pitch. Um, but yeah, no, both obviously sorely missed, particularly now Maradona passing so, so soon. Um, the other one that, that, that just happened, I think it was yesterday, um, ex, ex-Fulham player, Portsmouth player, uh, Papa Bioba uh, Diop, passed away only the only at 42 years old i mean i know diego maradona passed away that's a huge shame i mean he was 60 at least you know he's lived a life you know a considerable amount of his life um albeit you know still too soon but if you look at um uh boba diop i mean he's 42 years old after a long battle with illness 
uh, unfortunately lost that battle and, and, and is also no longer with us. So um, it's a, it's a, you know, I suppose, you know, we'd, I'd like to, to pay respect to him as well. 129 appearances in the Premier League. Also had spells with uh, West Ham and Birmingham City. Played for Senegal at the 20, 2002 World Cup, scoring the winner uh, in the opening game against France as they won 1-0 in that. So, And I, I also, um, it was sort of just before, I want to say, the Premier League was being shown in Australia, I think, when he was really hitting his straps. But looking back to some of his highlights, uh, and he scored an absolute belter against Man United that was phenomenal. He was he was quite the player. And a, a, am I right in saying he left Fulham a year before you got there, or was there a crossover at all? Yeah, I, I never crossed over with him. Yeah, so he did leave before. I, I'm not sure exactly which year he left, but I know he obviously went to Portsmouth and won the FA Cup with Portsmouth that time with Harry Redknapp as manager. Um, but no, I never, I, you know, unfortunately never got a chance to, to cross paths in terms of football. Um, played against him. Um, but yeah, I do remember that goal that you mentioned there against Manchester United. It was, I think it was live on TV at the time. And it was an absolute corker of a, uh, uh, of a strike and a wonderful goal. Uh, he was a, you know, was a big man, very powerful, strong man and uh, a really good footballer. It's very sad to, to also hear the loss. Yeah. What, what were your, um, just on, on, Diego Maradona, what was your first memory of him, do you think? Um, I, I remember, I remember obviously, 86 World Cup. I watched it. I remember watching the game um, as a kid. You know, I was like, what, 14 years old. Yeah. Um, is that right? 86. Am I right there? Yeah, I am. Yeah, so I was 14 years old. I, I watched all the World Cups. I remember watching the final as well. I mean, heartbroken when West Germany lost to Argentina in the final and Diego Maradona ran the show again. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, that's my first memory. Um, guy scoring with his hand, um, then also afterwards that hand of the god, hand of god uh, mentioning and all that sort of thing. But you know, I think in those days it was it was kind of just seen as you know Diego Maradona could almost do whatever he wanted to do, and then also did what he wanted to do on a football pitch. Um, but let's not forget as well, he he with, withstood some incredibly horrendous challenges. I mean. The way that he picked himself up time and time again, the way he actually darted and dodged and sprung out of the way of, you know, vicious challenges. Today, you know, there'd be like probably 10 red cards in a game minimum, you know, for those sort of challenges. Um, You know, the way that he was, that ball was, it was like it was connected to him. Um, the control that he had. I mean, if you if if you haven't, you've got to go on YouTube and have a look at the footage of him warming up at a game in Naples. Did you see it? That's I mean, well, I was going to say that's my first ever memory of him. It probably, whether or not it was the first thing I saw of him, I'm not sure. But the first thing I definitely remember. There's something about that. It's just it's not only the skill is is pretty phenomenal, right? Like he's, you you sort of are taken back by that. But the, the way in which he does it and, it, and you can tell that the crowd is captivated just solely on him. Everything he does, he's yeah. purely watching and the, the, the swagger in which he does it all in, it was, uh, it was pretty special. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, remarkable. And I, I just don't think, you know, we've seen unbelievably skillful players, of course, since then. Uh, there are remarkably skillful players out there today. But to have... The control of the ball that he had, I, I don't, I don't, I don't ever remember seeing. I have not seen anyone that could control the ball as well as he could. And and, and kind of when I say control the ball, very much that footage of him warming up in Naples 
for Napoli, how the ball was, it was like it was connected to him. And it was all in rhythm and unison. It wasn't going anywhere. It didn't dare go anywhere. No. Oh, you wouldn't want to, would you? <laughs> Not no. today, Ball. Uh, it's yeah. obviously, it's now sparked, you know, lots of conversation about the great man and, and um, whether or not he was the best to ever do it. But just for you personally, who's the best you've seen live? So maybe not ever, but just live. Who would you say? Wow. Um, who have I... Oh gosh, I mean, I, I, I've played against both the great uh, Ronaldo, uh, Maradona, the original Ronaldo, Ronaldinho. Um, I don't know. There was something about Ronaldinho that I just... I, I, I was in awe about. And I, and I think, you know, when you watch Ronaldo play and you watch Messi play, there is a sense of burden on their shoulders, responsibility, the weight of the world seems to be on their shoulders. And, and most of that is, I mean, I mean, particularly like Ronaldo, you'd argue and say, well, a lot of that is brought on by, by his own attention to wanting attention from the greater world of being classed as the best ever and one of the best ever, whatever it is, being the best player in the world. Um, Messi, uh, Argentinian, played at Barcelona since he was what? I don't know, 11 years old or whatever it is. You know, the comparison is always going to be with him and Diego Maradona. And, um, you know, he just kind of, even though he's a very different personality, uh, or comes across as a very different personality to Ronaldo, he also sometimes, or a lot of the times, walks around as if the weight of the world is on his shoulders. Ronaldinho just played with a smile on his face all the time. Mm. I don't know if you remember, like, not so long ago, he and his brother got arrested for going into Paraguay. Yep. He, was, he still had a smile on his face. <laughs> like, he's been arrested and put in prison, and he's still got a smile on his face like... Okay, yeah, all right, I messed up. Yeah, all right, go to prison. Yeah. Right, let's make the most of this. They played football and his team won, of course, in, in, in prison and they won, I think they won a pig or something. Yeah, they, they did a big hog. Yeah. Yeah, so it just everything about him, I mean, that skill level, uh, again, right up there. It's hard to, it's hard to compare like for like, but I, I just look at him in terms of his whole persona, his whole personality. I've seen him since uh, he's in a, uh, stopped playing football. Uh, you know, he's always got a smile on his face. And I don't hear anyone say a bad word about him. And I see him in the, I've seen him in a hotel, you know, foyer. People are running after him. He signs autographs, but he can't stay for all of it. But he's always got a smile. He's always polite and just seemed like, you know, he's an amazing footballer, but also a, a person that was in, is still to this day in love with the game of football. The, the only way I can describe him when I think of him, when I used to watch him play, it almost reminded me of someone who was running with with almost like scoliosis. It was sort of like his back was yeah. bending like a snake, wasn't it? And it's just you yeah. just looked at it and you go, I, I don't, I can't think of any player that's got that amount of, you know, he, the way how flexible he is, I suppose, in the way yeah. that he runs. And you just feel like he's almost like water and he's malleable to every situation. I think that's what... For me, when you watch him, you go, geez, that, that's what made him so special to watch. And, and I think he's one of the, the kind of, the, he's been one of the last kind of proper, unbelievable world-class player rebels mm-hmm. where, you know, straight yeah. after a game, be out to a nightclub until all hours of the morning, dancing, celebrating, um, just bit loving like, life. bit like someone I know. Yeah, yeah, Ibrahimovic, yeah, he used to be yeah. like that, didn't he? So he's not like that anymore. <laughs> you know, just just constantly 
um, living life to the fullest. And I mean, you'd argue and say, well, it was detrimental to his football game in the end, to his game of, game of football. And it, and it probably was. And that's why also he wasn't able to, to play at the highest, highest level for longer. You know, in these days, you can look at Messi, look at Ronaldo, they're able to continue. And, and, and I think they'll continue for some time yet at the highest level. Um, but yeah, he, he was someone that just everything he did, he did to the fullest and always had, always had a smile on his face. He looked like he, he never, to me, never looked like he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. No. Or if he was, he was, he was loving it. Here's one for you that I'm sure that you've thought about, and, and I'd be fascinated to know if you've got a, a, the same opinion of it as me, but when we're having the discussion to the greatest to ever do it, naturally, uh, a goalkeeper has not been mentioned. Now, do you think that that's unfair? I mean, it's, a, it's kind of clear why. It's a very different role, uh, admittedly possibly unfair and, and do you think that there will ever be a goalkeeper you know to at least be in the top 10 discussion and, and what would they physically have to do for people to start shifting their train of thought I, I don't think it'll ever shift because it is so different a position goalkeeping to an outfield player is I mean okay it's it's become it's it's the gap is closed a little bit the 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 comparison of a goalkeeper no longer is the goalkeeper just the guy that you know, tries to stop the ball with any part of his body. Um, he's also now expected to be a footballer on top of being a goalkeeper. So yeah. you think about it, he's doing two jobs. You know, yeah. most, most players can't even be, be a decent footballer around the world, but a goalkeeper is now expected to be a very good footballer plus a good goalkeeper. So you're, the position is actually becoming even more difficult to, to master and get to the very top uh, uh, of your game. Um, so the comparisons are slightly uh, closing in, but I don't think you'll ever compare it. I mean, you'll talk, when you talk about best ever players, it'll be blah, 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 you know, Ronaldo, Messi, Maradona, um, Pele, you know, Ronaldinho, whatever it is, and, and you'll be going on and on about a list of players, Beckham, Bell, Eusebio, all that sort of stuff, and then you'll go, hang on, but best goalkeeper, oh, then all of a sudden it'll be, you know, they're gassing, you know, Ray Clemens, Peter Shilton, whatever it is, you know, Manuel Neuer, Oliver Kahn, uh, Dino Zoff. It'll go on and on and on in terms of goalkeepers. So you, you just, I don't think you'll ever, it'll be, it'll always be two categories. Mm. Is that fair? I, I, yeah, I think it is because I, don't, I just don't think you can, you, you can't compare it. It's so, so different. Um, yeah. The positions are so different. The involvements, um, I don't think the world ever gets as captivated by a goalkeeper as they would as from an outfield player. I mean, Schilleber, uh was was the one that obviously Higita, who combined the the extra not extravagant but the the out of this world behaviour, um, coming out of his line, dribbling team players and running up the other end trying to score goals, scoring free kicks, and and yeah, they they received a lot of attention for it still were never regarded as one of the best. Yeah, one of the best free kick takers for a goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah. The best free kick, I mean, you know, the highest goal scorer for a goalkeeper. But that's it. You know, nothing more than that. Um, and, 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 I, and also you would say, okay, Higita and Chilever, for example, they were, they were fantastic in the ball at their feet. Great, great strikers of the ball. And like I said, free kick takers, brilliant. But then you question their ability in goal. They would, they would, I thought they were just okay as goalkeepers. But the whole package was important. That's what made the difference. That's why they were able to be, I think, 
put in that sort of little different category. Mark, let's shift our focus to the Premier League now. Um, and I just want to thank you straight away, right off the bat. Um, <clears throat> you didn't message me at all uh, yesterday afternoon during the Arsenal-Wolverhampton game. And I just, I just want to thank you. I just, I don't know, it, maybe it went through your head that you thought, you know what, I'm going to give him a week off. Is that what was going on? Or did you just forget? No, I didn't forget. Uh, I just thought uh, it'd be too predictable. Sure. So I, I just thought I'd break that predictability and yeah. I, I want to catch you off guard a little bit. And now that you've lowered your, uh, your, your defences a bit, yeah. um, mate, no, good, Arsenal, <laughs> crisis, absolute crisis. And as Roy, Keane, as Roy Keane said yesterday, I think they've got enough to stay up. <laughs> Wasn't that brilliant? <laughs> that was brilliant. But, yeah, brilliant. Did you almost cry as well when he said it? Because the realisation is there that actually you've got Spurs next. And well, yeah. I mean, I know, I know, listen, I know London Derby, North, North London Derby, any Derby, you most of the time can just, I mean, when I say you throw form out, you, you kind of throw form out the window, particularly the North London Derby. I, I think that's a game that's like, you know, the Merseyside Derby, Everton haven't won in over 10 years, right? So I, I don't think you're going to throw form out the window because Liverpool have literally dominated Everton for at least the last 10 years, if not longer. So that kind of is true to form. You know, the Manchester derby kind of swings back and forth. You know, I remember, I think it was last season, or not last season, season before, where United went to, to Manchester, uh, to, to, to City and won. 2-0 down, should have been probably 6-0 down at halftime, and then came back and won 3-2 in the second half. Um, and, they, and they were well, well underperforming, Manchester mm. United. Manchester City, on paper, you'd think, right, tick that box of the Manchester City win three-plus goals. But it wasn't the case. And, and I think the, the North London derby is a bit like that as well. I, I think in the past when Arsenal dominated Spurs, when I say the past, I'm talking seven, eight years ago from, you know, because it's not happening anymore. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was still Spurs would create, you know, cause an upset back then. And even now, you know, it's probably the tides are turned a little bit. I mean, definitely the tides are turned a little bit. You know, Tottenham are definitely a better side than Arsenal. And, and Arsenal is likely to pick themselves up and get a result when you kind of think there's no chance of them getting a the result. Um, but I still think that there's no chance to get the result. I think <laughs> <laughs> so therefore, Arsenal is going to be in a proper relegation dogfight. Oh, and yeah. look at it. How long Mikel Arteta has been in charge compared to the great your man. old favourite. Your old favourite. <laughs> uh, so I've got here the comparison. Where are they? Between... Where, where, are they? where are they on comparison? Let, let me uh, let me deploy this for you. So after 29 Premier League matches, Arteta uh, has won 13, Emery won 17. Uh, Arteta has drawn seven, Emery six. Um, Arteta has lost nine, whereas Emery had lost six. Uh, <laughs> Emery's side scored 61 goals compared to 41. Uh, Emery's side conceded 39 to 31. So that, you know, there's a... A slightly, you know, more positive note there. Uh, Arsenal had 57 points after 29 Premier League games under Emery. And currently Arteta has 46. Emery had a winning percentage of 58.6 compared to current 44.8. But all I would say is, to all the the haters out there, as they say, is, yeah, but count how many trophies Arteta's won. And then surely the conversation's over, in my opinion. Is it? In a, 
well, I think so, in a short gap where there's so much to fix and you think about what he has changed, which I think the defence is the strongest it's been in years. Are you getting caught up with the Emery towards the end? Because in that first, this is not even a year, like it's not even a year in terms of games, because you're talking about 29 games, am I correct? Yep. So essentially up until yesterday. Yeah, so it's not even a full Premier League season, right? Mm. Emery was still regarded, like Arsenal fans were pretty excited about him, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. Are those first 29 games? So we're comparing an Emery where actually, I mean, you know, we talk about and say, well, Emery got the sack, but Emery got the sack later on down the line when form did completely turn around. So Arteta obviously isn't performing or hasn't made, get, been able to get his team to perform at the consistent levels that Emery has. But like you said, Arteta won a major trophy, whereas Emery didn't. So ultimately, that's how you get judged, isn't it? Yeah. Does that, I, think, does that... I think it should be how you get judged. Then you throw into the fact that he has been, he's inherited a team rather than had the chance to create yeah. a team, which Emery yeah, got the em- chance to do. Uh, yeah, well, he, should. He, he did. He did. And yeah, then, but and over then... time, over time, he did. It's like I yeah. give out tougher time. I mean, I can't remember now. How long was Emery at the club? It was. It was not. I don't think he cracked two years. I think it was about eighteen months. Um, then you got to throw into the picture as well, Mark. Coronavirus and and being able to weather that storm. Uh, and I think that's probably forgotten, been forgotten about a little bit. But I think overall, there's been categories of their game and their identity, which has been improved. Ideally, what you want to see is the, the entire team to improve. But clearly what's happened is they've focused on one area of the pitch. And then it's surprisingly our best half, which is quite clearly our attacking players. I mean, I don't know what's going on there. That's the bizarre thing. Because the defence, as I've said, I feel really comfortable with. Yeah, OK, they conceded two goals. But still... It's the sort of game they would have conceded four or five in not long ago. Yeah, true. Um, I've just read a stat here, right? Emre. He went on a 22-game unbeaten record. He did, he did. In that first season. Um, obviously, they were beaten by... At the end of that season, they were beaten by, obviously, a far better side than Chelsea in the Europa League final, let's be honest. I was there, and of sure. course, it was... Yeah, hey, you fast. A far superior Chelsea side, let's be honest. I mean, there's no comparison, let's be honest. You, you were there, you weren't playing, Marks. So let's just, I let's I didn't just say yourself that. in. I, I, I was there, I was there commentating, well, I was there interviewing, um, and that was a time where my mate, um, um, yeah, I won't even go there, but my mate uh, pulled, pulled uh, Aston Quirr away from me. Yeah, anyway. Um, do you remember in the interview post-match? No, I don't remember this. What happened? It's clearly uh, see, a touchy I, subject. I, well, I, I, you know, obviously Chelsea have won and Aspilicueta is the captain. He's got the, he's got the uh, Europa League trophy in his hands and they're all celebrating. He runs back into the change room and the, um, the head of media for Chelsea saw me and asked me, what, what would I like? So I said, can I get Aspi back, Aspilicueta back? So he brings him back out and uh, Aspie, I'm doing a one-on-one interview with him. You know, he's holding the trophy. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Yeah, he was emotional. It was fantastic. And um, and then uh, you know, for for unknown reason, there's a there's a player that hobbles over on his crutches, and Chelsea player, and he's he's also a bit excited. But even though I don't know really why, because he he didn't play and he wasn't even involved in the squad, um, and he came over and pulls Aspie away and basically tells us stuff. You know, we're not going to... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, are, are we able to say who it was? Or what, what does his name rhyme with? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, I mean, I mean Rudiger. It was Rudiger. Okay. I'm not going to say his name, but it was Rudiger. Okay. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just, it was, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've interviewed him, well, I'd spoken to, yeah, interviewed him a few times. And he's just, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't like me. He was just so arrogant and rude to me. And then that time happened as well. And I just thought, I just looked at him and went, wow. Like, just, I mean, I know he got caught up in the emotion of that, but just, he was just, I thought it was out, I thought it was out of order. So um, that wouldn't anyway. happen at Arsenal, just so you know. That wouldn't have. That wouldn't yeah, have I, 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 I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have got the interview with the, with the, with the captain <laughs> of the trophy. That just wouldn't have happened. Too touche. I think. I think they say, Mark. Um, yeah, Mark as well. Uh, just on on that that game between Arsenal and Wolverhampton. Another one of the, the I suppose the major storyline to come out of it was the incident between Raúl Jiménez and David Luiz. Um, from all reports, Jiménez was rushed to a nearby London hospital. Um, had surgery for a fractured skull. Uh, yep. He's responsive and, and conscious, which is brilliant news. Um, I'm sure there'll be a very, very long recovery and, and, and strict re- recovery for him. But my question is, I watch a lot of, as you know, I watch a lot of AFL and watch a lot of cricket where hits on the head are taken pretty seriously. Um, yep. I was shocked that Louis was able to play on. And it obviously came off at half-time. But, mate, he had blood coming out of his skull. I don't care yeah. if he passes a, a test because, let's not forget, you're running on adrenaline, no? Like, so yeah. to pass a test, you might be switched on, but that's not necessarily the way concussion works. You know, delayed onset concussion is very normal. Yeah, and yeah, it is. It is. Delayed onset is absolutely normal. Um, I, I mean, listen, we don't know. When he was lying on the ground, was he actually conscious the whole time? Did he just stay still because he didn't want to move? Because, obviously, it, it hurt a lot, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Listen, they, they, they say, I mean, I listened to Mikel Arteta afterwards. They, they went through the, the, the whole protocol of, of you know, uh, concussion regulations that they had in place. Um, and then they're saying that the reason he came off, and that was pretty obvious, was that, the, the cut was obviously, I think, three inches long, needs seven stitches, and it was bleeding, as we all saw. So every time he headed the ball, it was obviously painful, and, and that was, makes complete sense. So the question is, if it hurts that much in your head, surely there is potential for more damage, and therefore, is that, should there just be a blanket rule? If that sort of thing happens, you've got a, a cut on your head, you've just got to come off and you've got to make a substitution. I, I don't know. Is there then an added substitution that's brought in? So that doesn't count against your normal three subs. Someone cuts their, cuts their head open like that, and, you, and it's almost like a blood bin, blood bin in rugby or rugby yeah. you know, league. Does it become that extra sub that you get to have because of it? I, I don't know. Um, I, I also was very, very surprised that he came back on. I didn't think either, obviously, him and didn't come on. I didn't think that David Luiz was going to come back on either. Um, but by the fact that they were working on him on the side of the pitch, the way they were getting him ready, it was obvious they were intending on bringing him back on. Mm. Um, and with Raul Jimenez, I mean, obviously it was very, very serious and, and you hope, you know, we all hope that he has a, a speedy recovery. And I think the first thing that I kind of think about when, when you hear about a fractured skull, is you think about, I do anyway, you think about Petr Cech and about the yeah. severity of his fractured skull. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that Raul Jimenez's severity of the fractured skull is as bad as it was with Petr Cech. 
I mean, I'm not saying that a fractured skull is not serious because it is. But what I'm saying is, I mean, I remember Joseph Job uh, when I was playing with at Middlesbrough, he clashed heads with someone, fractured his skull, but he was back far sooner than Petr Cech was. So it wasn't as long a, a layoff um, because I, obviously there'll be different different degrees of, 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 of a fracture. You know, is it just a, sure. a fracture in terms of a cut, uh, sorry, a, a crack, a break, or is it indented? Like in the case of Petr Cech, I think there was a piece broken and then they had to, or shattered or whatever it was, and they had to put in a metal plate. Um, it was a lot more complicated. Mm. So let's hope it's the, the, the less of it all. Let's hope, it, yes, obviously we all know it's a fracture. Let's hope that he's able to recover and get back to full fitness as quickly as possible. In Petter's case, I'm trying to think back. I'm sure there's been a million cases in, in professional football where similar things have happened, but certainly on you know a, a big name like that in, in a big league like in England, it, it's pretty... Um, is a pivotal moment, you, you, you'd have to say. But within your circles, did, did anything change? Like, did they change the approach in which they were teaching you to, to go in for challenges? Or was, was it all just just carry on, business no, as usual? Just, no, I, I think it was... I mean, I remember it at the time. And, I, you know, the thing is, it's, it's different than... When that happened, it's very different. The world is very different in terms of social media media coverage, the, the way that it's reported, scrutinised, um, continuously reported, and then obviously the debate opens up massively. Social media is an enabled debate. When Peter had his accident, there wasn't, I don't even think the social media was at the, no, it was definitely not at the level it is now. I, I don't know, I don't can't remember, I don't think Twitter and, and all that was around. So I, all I remember is he's out, he's, he's in hospital, it's a really bad injury, but that was about it. I don't remember thinking it's that. Like, I mean, I remember thinking, okay, I know he has to have a break and it's obviously serious, but you just never thought it was that bad. Um, I don't know. That's how I felt. So I think today, I think, and also off the back of, of Peter's injury, I think people have, have become a little bit more aware and I think there's become more of a, a spotlight on, on, on the um on the injury itself, on the collisions, add to the fact that all these, there's been lots of re- studies being uh, carried out now, research being uh, carried out. A lot of players, ex-players, you know, uh, quite a few ex-players have suffered from dementia and, and so forth. And, and the big the question mark is, and the research is uh, leaning towards or directed towards seeing whether or not there is a relationship between yeah. heading the ball, contact, continuous contact. I mean, we, we know in rugby and rugby, uh, rugby league and AFL players actually retire after repetitive concussions, don't they? They end up having to retire. Like so a friend I, of the show, Brad Ebert. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, I, I'm what I actually am surprised. I'm surprised that hasn't happened more often in football. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm bewildered by that, 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 you know, there are some players, particularly defenders and strikers generally, because they're the ones that are generally doing that aerial battle pretty regularly, that n- there's not been more players in those positions that have retired due to the constant um, head injuries and, and coming, you know, the, the, the concussion issues. I think we'll see that happening in the future. Won't be long. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search Geg and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D. The Geg and Pod. Okay, 
back to Two Sharp Reds. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. Hey, Mark, one thing that made me laugh um, just, just on that Arsenal-Wolverhampton game, did you see Bert Leno had to wear the, the away kit? <laughs> so he didn't I have did. A, he didn't have a, I think, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a goalkeeper wear an outfielder's kit before. Certainly not within uh, memory. I might have seen I, it, but not. I, I remember I, in, in you know, years gone by, we've gone to a game, or normally it happens to be a away game, and there's been a mix-up. So that, generally not the shirt. It has happened, but generally it's like the shorts uh, clash yeah. with the away team, and you end up wearing an out, at your team's outfield players' shorts with your shirt. It doesn't match at all, and it's a bit awkward, and it just feels wrong. Um, at least he's matched. He was at there at home. They're able. They obviously got those machines and you know, the iron iron machines all there to press on uh, uh, even at the stadiums because for this very reason, sometimes numbers come off shirt. They have to re they have to reprint a shirt for whatever reason. Um, I actually think it looked pretty cool. It did look I, cool. I, yeah, I, I thought yeah. it was pretty cool. And um, yeah, it was just a bit odd because it is their, their second strip. But I, I thought it looked pretty cool. And then obviously done it Louise with his white bandage on his head. Yeah. The way that was tricky. He was trying to get the same effect, I think. Now, from memory, from memory, I feel like your theory being is when they would need to make an emergency printing like that, if they had realised not too far out, you reckon they'd probably just go to the club store? Because I feel like I remember you telling me a story about where like, you, you just you had to go in and buy one. Or, or, or certainly no, just grab no, one. No, I, no, I wouldn't have gone in and gone and bought one. The kit man would just go in there and get one. Just go in the and get one. Yeah, off the off off the thing, and then they would, and because they would have it at the because that club shop, there's always a club shop at the ground at the stadium. Yeah. So either back then they obviously didn't necessarily have the the, the press in in the, the kit room at the stadium. So I think I, if I can remember correctly, it wasn't too long after we moved from because when I first signed for the club at Middlesbrough, we were based out of the stadium full-time. So we didn't have training facilities. We would train at local council grounds and so forth. So we'd go to the stadium and use the same change rooms you use on match day, and that was where you got changed and used. And we'd wait in the change room about, okay, where are we training today? And the manager would come in or someone would come in and go, right, we're at this ground on this street, blah, blah, blah. Many buses leave in 15 minutes, and the goalkeepers would go, the goalkeeping coach would go, right, let's go now. So we'd get in our cars and we would drive to that pitch and train. And there'd be people walking their dogs and all sorts of stuff. Um, and I remember we moved to we moved to uh, Herworth, where where the training ground is, um, at uh, out, out near Darlington. And um, I think it was not long after that, so they must have taken all the equipment with them and maybe forgot or just thought they didn't need to. They'd use the club shop one if they ever needed to. So I remember a couple of times they'd run across and grab a shirt off the peg and and just Brilliant. badge it all up and and do everything. And, and they would have everything there at the club shop. Good to know, at least if you're spending that amount of money on a shirt, that it's it's good quality and it's the real deal. I suppose that's the that's the best. Well, part. well, the biggest difference with a lot of the shirts is is the badging, isn't it? It's the emblems, yeah. the badging. So whether they're 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 uh, um, an iron, whether they're uh, a badge that is just yeah, literally a screen printed one, or whether it's actually a proper embroidered one, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's the badges on the arms and the sleeves, and a lot of times you can buy an exact replica cane. So you yeah. have the choice when you go to a fan shop these days that you, well, it has been for quite some time that you can buy the exact replica. So you've got all the badges, you've got everything on it. That is literally, you're, you are wearing a shirt that you could easily go out the pitch and wear. Uh, Mark, how are you enjoying your wine? Going down a treat? Yes, uh, I, you know, I have to say, for the first time on the show, it's not my favourite wine. Um, it's okay. It's a, bit, it's a bit of a struggle, I have to say. It's a bit, uh, bit spicy, too spicy, I would say. 
um, needs something need something with it. You can't just eat it by itself. I think when you, I, did, I should have had a, pl- a plate full of cheese, yeah. and I would have been able to digest it, bring, you know, help the cheese to go down with the wine. Um, but yeah, it's pretty um, pretty spicy and pretty heavy for me. So have you not had this one before? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, so that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? When you can't yeah, remember, obviously, exactly. I've had, obviously I've had too many different bowls of red wine, haven't I? Uh, well, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, first for everything, I suppose. Mark doesn't like a red. There you go. But no, no I'm Mate. not saying I don't like it. It's just, it's a bit, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit too, um, too harsh for me. Yeah, it's a bit too, bit too strong over the top, a uh, bit full on. And um, it's like you need to take a, take a really deep breath after having a sip. Now, Mark, I'll tell you one thing that I like. Actually, one thing that I love. Uh, it's grown adults throwing a tantrum. It's okay. it's one of the funniest things I've seen. And I think in the world of football, certainly in the world of the Premier League, we've, we've, we're used to it now. There's with certain few, they, they don't mind a good tantrum. But the great, uh, the great Jurgen Klopp is fast becoming a bit of a tantrum expert. And I didn't see it coming originally when he first came to the league and <clears throat> bits and pieces that I'd seen, you know, press conference wise when he was at Dortmund, very passionate, but not, not, not so much on the tantrum front, but I'm assuming you, you, you would have, uh, you would have loved his post match interview. I, I'm going to say tantrum, you know, you can use a different word if you'd like substitute one in, but it, it felt like that. Jurgen Klopp essentially was having a tantrum about the fact that he feels like broadcasters were causing Milner's injury or, or certainly, uh, you know, more, on a broader scale, causing you know the injuries of, of the teams, and then the the discussion from the broadcaster standpoint was the fact that well that Liverpool are also responsible for being okay with the fixture in because of the money that they would then get for for the time slot. It's a bit of a it's an ugly little tantrum, but it makes for some good viewing, doesn't it? Yeah, this has been brewing for a while. The, the complaints have been made for for a long time now, and I, and I have to agree with Jurgen Klopp. I think it's outrageous that a team in Europe. Uh, i.e. you know the teams finishing playing the Champions League and Europa League should or will play then on a Saturday and the early kick up kickoff at such. All the other all the other uh, leagues around around Europe, their teams that play in the Champions League or in European football don't play sooner than a Sunday. Mm. And after after a European week. And that should be the case in the UK as well. But I also understand the flip side. So <clears throat> there is an agreement, there is a, a contract that the clubs agree to. And yes, it was signed pre-pandemic, but the questions were raised pre-pandemic as well. It's just been exaggerated now because of the pandemic. I agree that there should be changes made to it now because of the pandemic, but I think I think Jurgen Klopp's a little bit. Uh, I think he's he's either either a little bit uh, misinformed, or or maybe the whole truth hasn't hasn't been brought to his attention, or maybe he's just being a little bit like trying to put external pressure. Uh, public pressure on the, the broadcasters. I don't think, I think both are to blame. The clubs and the, the uh, broadcaster, as well as the league, because they've, they've facilitated it. The flip side of it is you, you would say, hang on, actually, one of the reasons why the Premier League is so popular is because they're able to really create this, this distinction between all the really, really big games. They're able to spread them out and be able to show them all on TV and make a really big thing about it. Like, you know, to, to play, have Liverpool play against Brighton on a Saturday morning, or Saturday midday at 12.30 kickoff, 
it gives its own little platform of, of being the main game, the only game played in the Premier League on that particular moment. And then all the rest of the games start to follow afterwards. And it kind of adds to, I think, the whole, the whole brand of the Premier League. If, if the likes of Man United, Man City, Chelsea and Liverpool all played on a Sunday, yes, you could spread them out. And they are now able to do it. So you're able to have a game. Why not play that game at 12.30 on a Saturday? Oh, sorry, Sunday. Why, why isn't Brighton playing Liverpool 12.30 Sunday? And then stagger it. And then the next week, because at the moment we've got three games in a row for Champions League, three weeks in a row, then the next week, maybe Man City plays at 12.30. And, and then the week after that, Man United play or Chelsea play, whatever it is, and you, you mix it up. And they're all playing on a Sunday or even on a Monday, but they won't be able to because they're playing on a Wednesday or a Tuesday. That's the problem, see? The problem is with back-to-back Champions League games, if they all played on a Sunday, when, if they all played on a Sunday, some of those teams have to then back it up and play on Tuesday. Yeah. So there's less time to recover on that end. Yeah. Jurgen Klopp, actually, for Jurgen Klopp, for Liverpool player, that's 12.30 on a Saturday. Okay, 12.30 is not the right time. Maybe they should be playing at 5, 5.30 on a Saturday. I've never understood that though. Where's the? You can't tell me that the body goes through that much drastic recovery time between a twelve thirty and a four. Uh, it, it, it does because of the time you get up. It, 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 like you, you've got to get up a lot early in the morning to prepare for the game. So, you know, sleep is everything. Yeah, you, you'd argue and say, well, the players should go to bed earlier. You know, so what time would they be? What time would you get up for a twelve thirty? Well, if it's, well, it's twelve thirty kickoff, you're at the game at eleven o'clock. You're out yeah. in the stadium at 11 o'clock. So you go through the whole, you're probably having breakfast at 8.30, 8 o'clock, 8.30. And another great thing, great scheme of things of the world, that's not early, right? But it, it, just, it just pushes everything forward again. So you've got to get up earlier. You've got to do all that. You don't have as long a time to sleep. But then that argument is, well, you should go to bed earlier. And then you could recover and have enough time. I think in this instance... The only thing that could change is they play at 5.30 rather than 12.30. So, Mark, as you know, I like to come to you when it comes to, well, a lot of things, life lessons, um, thoughts on wine, but, but anything German, either German football or, um, or whether it just be German pronunciation, German food, travel advice. Uh, and I'm coming to you today because I need to know what the hell is going on with now. <clears throat> I'm going to try and do this in traditional uh, German. Uh, what is going on with Schalke 04? How'd I go there? Not bad. 04? 04, that's better. Yeah, 04. Not 0. 0. 04. Schalke 04. They are bottom of the Bundesliga table. Uh, I'm pretty sure without a win, they've got three draws um, and six losses at least. Uh, the reason why it's. I want to ask you about them is because as of two years ago, Mark, they were playing in the Champions League. Now they're rock bottom on the bottom of the Bundesliga table. Um, now you, you have a, a bit of an eye over Bundesliga at the best of times, but what's going on? Explain to me what's happened. It's just an absolute crisis in, in, in German football, uh, particularly at Schalke. It's just a place that I think for a long period of time now has been mismanaged. Um, the financial crisis now with in terms of COVID has, has really hit them hard because they weren't in a particularly great uh, shape beforehand. They have continuously developed really good players um, but either allow them to go for next to nothing um, or, or have cashed in on them probably uh, too cheaply, really, for, for, the, for the level of players. I mean, we're talking about um, Goretzka, 
at Bayern Munich. We're talking Mesut Ozil. Uh, Manuel Neuer came from from uh, Schalke before that. I mean, they did pay a, a decent amount of money for him back then, but that was still when Schalke were in a decent position. But um, you look at now, Weston McKennie, they're, they're, it was arguably their best player, definitely their most consistent player last season, uh, the American. And bizarrely, I mean, they didn't sell him. They didn't go on loan to Juventus, which I, I just find really bizarre. And, um, and, and they're struggling. I mean, they, they're currently on a 24-game uh, winless streak. The record in the Bundesliga was set by a team that, you, you know, you definitely have an affiliation with, Tasmania Berlin. In 1966, they went 31 games without a victory. Um, and quite surprisingly, the, the new owner of uh, Tasmania Berlin, a guy called Almir Numich, uh, he, he, says, he said just now that he hopes that the record is not broken. He wants that. It's part of the club's um, ident- identity. He says the record helps us a lot, um, you know, because we don't have to explain who, who Taz, he calls them Taz, are. Um, so it, it's pretty bizarre, you know, like the fact that, you know, they're hoping to keep that record. Obviously, Schalke would love the fact that uh, Tasmania Building would keep that record. But I, I just don't see any light in the tunnel. Um, you know, the, the appointment of the new manager recently after David Wagner left was not inspiring. I think, again, it just shows you the state of play of the club at the moment. Um, they've got very little funds to try and get themselves out of the problem. There's been no, no reaction, really, um, from the team. Um, and that's, that's a major, major concern. I mean, on the weekend, they were, they were in the end, obviously outplayed. Um, and they were, they were walked by, by Munchen Gladbach 4-1. Uh, it was a game that, you know, even though they were in the game, 15 minutes, after 15 minutes, Munchen Gladbach scored. Uh, Schalke equalised. And for 16 minutes, they were they were drawing the match, so it wasn't so bad for them. But then um, that was it. Um, it wasn't the best of performance. They lose four one, uh, and they get you know they were pretty much outplayed for the vast majority of the game. And, and and if you look at the table, it's a very very sorry state of affairs. Um, they actually haven't won a game yet. So they've they're what is it three three draws after yep. nine games. So they've got three points. And probably the more concerning factor in it is that they've only scored six goals and they've conceded 28. 28. Um, I mean, that is 28. insane. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the run obviously started last season uh, when David Wagner was in charge. And, and funny enough, they had an incredible start to the season when David Wagner first took over at the club. Yeah. They were flying. They were in the top, top six of the Bundesliga. They were absolutely flying. And that form kept them in the Bundesliga in the second, after the start from the, actually just before the coronavirus, they were on a horrendous run. And then the, the run continued throughout coronavirus uh, once they restarted. And they were just diabolical. And they just haven't recovered. And now, it might be harsh for me to say, given the fact that they are only nine games in, so there's a, a fair chunk to go, but can they win a game this season, do you think? At this moment in time? Uh, probably not. Um, they are, they've been so bad um, that you just don't, you, you actually don't, you, you fear for them. You fear that they could go um, the whole season without, without winning, without winning again. That, that's how bad they are. And, and that's just how, how poor they seem to be at the moment. Well, we'll continue to give you uh, all the latest from the Bundesliga and all my questions around anything German, German culture, German music, food, uh, as we go on. Cause I'll come, always come to my man, 
in Mark Schwarzer when I've got any questions about Germany. But, Mark, let's turn our attention as we wind things up here in the Two Shut Reds. Let's turn our attention to the wine that we've been trying today. I've gone for the Penfold Shiraz from South Australia. On the nose, we've got fresh red, red fruits, in particular cranberry and red currants uh, dominating fresh vanilla pod and panna cotta cream encourage the further exploration with a further swirl revealing subtle Middle Eastern spice nuances. I mean, that is a serious explanation there, Mark. Well, well, I I don't even know where to start with that. I mean, I just want to know where they get all those tastes from. I I want to know. I'm actually, I'm in awe of these people who are wine tasters and have the ability to actually dissect and actually individualize exactly what the flavors are that come out of of a glass of wine. I, I struggle with that. Yeah. So what? What you you can get the the almost like the gist for one for one of the better words. You know, you yeah, get the flavour, but not the. Yeah, I, I get a bit of a flavour and understanding of it, but really not uh, not that that in depth. I couldn't tell you exactly which spice it is. Yeah. I just know it's really really spicy, unless it's really 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 obvious. But generally, for me, it's not. It's difficult to. Um, Definitely for me, it's difficult to determine which is which. So I might as well just take it away with uh, who I'm going to compare this wine to. I've picked out certain words and and, and it, the explanation actually goes on with, with we've got palette, the nose, the colour um, and certain specific words. But I'm just going to read, read out a few of the uh, words that have jumped out for me that really sum this wine up, but it sums up a player um, perfectly. We've got the word supportive uh, has come out. Um, We've got textured, exotic, subtle, and wild. So not you. That's certainly not you. Exactly. I'll tell you what. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just saying. Now I'm reading it out. I'm thinking, hello. Um, but look, uh, supportive. Uh, the stories I've heard uh, in recent times have been beautiful of the way that this person has operated uh, with other people within the footballing world. Texture. I mean, this man's hair is incredibly well textured, flows in the wind. Uh, is it a perm or is it natural? No, no one really knows, uh, but it's, it's textured uh, beautifully. Exotic, uh, absolutely incredibly exotic when it comes to dance moves and, um, and his approach and his lifestyle, very exotic. Subtle, um, I'm going to say subtle in his movements when it comes to the fact that it always felt like the ball was... was it was so effortless. So, you know, his movements were grand on scale, but subtle in the sense that, you know, it was just like a simple step over when really it was something very difficult. Uh, and also wild. There was no doubt a wild side to this man. Um, and I think when, I, when I've read out all of these, I think it's probably pretty obvious and it's more out of respect and recognition for, the, for this week as I compare this wine to the great Diego Maradona. Okay. Pretty See, I, know, I, I know what you're thinking, though. You're thinking, what? So this is the greatest wine you've ever had. <laughs> but I don't well, think... No, that's, 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 open. that's open for debate, though, isn't it? Because the, yeah. the debate about Diego Maradona, is he the greatest of all time? There's, well, a debate. There's an ongoing debate as to whether he is or not. Um, yep. All right. So it's a bottle of wine, uh, the Vinedo Antiguo Spanish wine, Bilbao, 2017. Uh, very rich, spicy, uh, that needs a good accompaniment. Not an easy drinking wine. Needs needs to breathe. Harsh taste at first, very harsh. Um, rich, rich in flavours of like damson jam. With a, this person's saying with a touch of spice. No, it's got loads and loads of spice. 
and 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 uh, when I when I thought about it, very very spicy. So spicy obviously can be determined in so many different ways in terms of when you're describing someone. It can also be someone that I think can fly off the handle, be very hot headed, um, because if it's a very hot spice, of course, um, needs someone around them to almost um, to to control them a little bit to. to to, to put an arm around him, to, to turn to pull his head in a little bit. Um, and it's not easy to be around. So it's not an easy drinking wine, as is this one. It's not someone easy to be around at times on a football pitch in, in particular. Not everyone can handle uh, being next to him because of that fieriness, because of that hot-headedness. Um, that sheer determination to win at all costs and hate losing. And also somebody who very, very rarely ever acknowledge someone else's performance in terms of they were brilliant or uh, because if they got beaten by them, if they were on a losing side, they were really bad losers. And often that makes also a lot, a lot of top players around the world in all sports are really bad losers because they're not used to losing. You know, they have a big dummy spit when they lose. This player, it was funny because whenever we were playing in the national team, you played like another little two-touch games before training, after training sometimes. And he was the worst player to play with. He was very good technically. He was very good at it, but he would bend the rules. He would not go for things if they were just slightly out of way. And if you did give him a decent ball or like a pretty fiery ball, he'd complain. And then he'd be like, he'd spit the dummy. And if you're not careful, you could end up in a fisticuffs with him because he's he's so hot-headed. And he was a bit like on the football pitch. But he, he went on and played. I, I really rated him. I thought he was a really, really good player and someone that didn't really take a lot of the media limelight and didn't really want to do the media side of things so often or so much. Therefore, he kind of went under the radar a little bit. And he was very much part of that 2006 World Cup squad. Gus uh, Hennig was a big fan of him um, and managed him actually at PSV. And that's how he kind of got his breakthrough was when under Gus Hennig. Um, and he went on to be a mainstay in the national team for quite some time, albeit very, very hot-headed, very spicy, and needed the right people around him to try and, you know, keep him under control a little bit, a bit, a bit like this wine. Needs something uh, to go with it. Needs a, a nice hot pot, nice, big, meaty, hearty meal to, to contain it a little bit. But this player is, do you have any idea who it is? Well, I thought, I was just thinking then, the only one that I could think of was Bresciano, but then you lost me at PSV. He striked me as the sort of bloke that, that might be a bit like that. But no, I don't think I do know. No, Mapresciano is definitely not like that. No, he's not really? hot-headed. No, no, he's not hot-headed. He's a, he's a, he can be a really serious guy. can be really good professional, really hardworking, um, and can look really serious all the time. And this guy, this guy was hot-headed and angry at everyone all the time, would shout and scream at people out on the football pitch. He didn't get the ball. And even though he'd like, run up to him and maybe five yards away and all he'd do is touch the ball back to him again, he'd get angry if someone didn't pass him the ball. <laughs> Still no idea? No, give it to me. Jason Chalina. Really? Yeah. I would never yeah. have thought that. Angry, angry little man. Angry, hot-headed little man. He'd go bright red as well. And like the steam, you'd literally see the steam coming out of his ears. Um, and, and it was... Mate, he was frustrating at times to play with in terms of even on the football pitch because he'd just be angry and he'd have so much anger it would ooze out whenever something didn't work for him. Yeah, even was, off the was, pitch. Oh yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah, it can be. Really? Generally, he's quite relaxed, but 
it was someone that definitely didn't get away from a confrontation. If someone said something or did something that, that was detrimental to him, he would yeah. be, oh, he, he'd set up to him. I suppose you, straight away. you need one in every team, don't you? I would have thought. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So very hot-headed, very hot-blooded. Um, needed to breathe more as we as why. Uh, it's one of your best. I'll give it to you. It's one of your best. Really enjoy <laughs> that one, Mark. Uh, love this episode of Two Shot Reds, but now it's time for you to do your outro and let's wind things up. Yeah, on that note, I certainly need a breather. Um, it has been quite spicy at times yeah. this this uh, this episode. And um, you know what? Obviously, it's a very sad week off the back of Diego Maradona uh, passing away, uh, the legend of football, the icon of football that he, that he was. Um, and... Uh, you can just see the the rich outpouring of emotion that's happened all over the world and will for some time, I would believe. Um, such a such an incredible footballer that changed the way football, I suppose, was was uh, perceived to a large degree. But also, I think, made so many young young kids fall in love with the game. Um, and I think a lot of people had a soft spot for him just because of the magician that he was with the football. And, and how he influenced the team. Will we ever see a footballer have that much of an influence on one team? Because at the last World Cup, we saw teams go away from... Like, the teams that relied heavily on one individual struggled. Mm. So will we ever see that ever again? Who knows? I doubt it. I think the way the game's evolved, we won't, see, we won't ever see that again. So this, is for, um, this episode is for the great man himself, Diego Armando Maradona. We shall leave you. Cheers, Mark. Cheers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.